Oh, good morning. Welcome. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. I work primarily out of the Montrose campus, but I was here back on May 2nd uh, with all of you, and I'm happy to be back with you today. Uh, back on May 2nd, I did mention about my son getting his learner's permit, learning how to drive, and talked about that. You'll be happy to know he drove us here this morning, and we're all here. So uh, that's, that's big. He did, he did really well. Uh, Welcome to week two of our series entitled Crazy Faith, talking about the type of faith that watches and expects God to do amazing things, things beyond uh, what we can ask and imagine. Believing God can heal a marriage even after the divorce papers have been signed. Believing that God can bring the whole family together for Christmas, even though it's been a decade since you've all been together. Believing that God can turn that toxic co-worker into someone who is worshiping Jesus along beside you at church. By the way, that happens all the time here at Bridgewater. You know that? God changes people's lives all the time. We get to watch. We get to be involved. And I just want to thank you for your part in those conversations and those prayers and your giving and your efforts and your ministry. Thank you for being a part of that with us. If someone invited you today and you're new today, we want to welcome you as well. Um, We are here at a place where we are watching and expecting God to do amazing things things. Uh, So we defined crazy faith like this. Last week we said crazy faith are thoughts and actions that may seem unreasonable, but trusting fully in what you cannot explicitly prove. All right? Things that seem illogical, unreasonable, but trusting God for what you can't um, explicitly prove. We, We learned that what's called crazy in one season of life is called faith in another season. What seems crazy now. We talked about Noah building the ark. Seemed crazy that looking back, we say, oh, no, no, no. That was faith. That's what we're getting at. That's what we're talking about. It's the kind of faith that says, I don't know exactly how God is going to do this, but I believe it's going to happen. I don't think this could humanly happen, but I think God's going to show up. As we begin talking about this today, I want to tell you, a couple weeks ago, I was at a leadership conference, and I met a lot of different people, and I got to spend time with one particular guy. He's uh, younger than me, um, been married three years. Kristen and I, we've been married 18 years. It'll be 19 years uh, this winter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we, you know, we've talked about the 25th over and over again, and now it's like we're knocking on the door. It's not too far away. Uh, anyway, talking to this guy, we we're coming to the close of the conference, and I just figured I'd get to know him a little bit better, have a casual conversation with him. And I asked him, hey, tell me about your wife. She wasn't with him. I said, what are some of your favorite qualities about your wife? And here was the response. Huh. And it wasn't a huh, as in there are so many. I need to just rest on a couple. Huh, as in sore subject. And what began to happen is he and I began engaging. I discovered after three years of marriage, they were struggling. And uh, and he was desperate for their marriage to be better. He was going to uh, his church, his pastors, to get some help. And she knew that he was going to them to get some help. But because of the dynamic of their relationship, her perception was not that he loved her so much and was getting help so that they could have a better marriage and he could love her better. Her perception was that he was going to figure out from them how to fix her. So I'm like, what did I walk myself into? So we're in this conversation and I said, just digging a little deeper, I said, tell me about like how you guys met. This amazing story about how God brought them together. Um, I said, you know, t- 
tell me about, tell me about what, what do you do to communicate to her that you love her? Like, do you leave her notes? When's the last time you wrote her a letter or left her a note, even a sticky note on the mirror or something? He's like, yeah, oh, probably like our honeymoon or right after. I said, okay. When's the last time you bought her flowers, chocolates, whatever she likes? When's the last time you just bought one of those things? Grabbed her a coffee. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, that's been a long time. Um, and I began to reflect as I'm talking to him on my own marriage, my own relationship with Kristen. And uh, we've got collections of notes and letters to and from each other, stacks and stacks uh, of things that we used to do. And I was convicted as I was talking to him. It, the, these words came out of my mouth. I said, you know, in marriage, you don't ever really graduate from that stuff. You just learn to do it better and more significantly. Like the very things that bring you together and that you do because you're so overwhelmed with the love and affection and devotion that you're feeling toward that individual, those things that like erupt in a note or a letter or a card or flowers or chocolates or some expression of love, we don't grow out of or move on from those things. We're, or we shouldn't, right? We're meant to grow into those things, into fuller, more significant expressions of love and devotion. And as I said those words, which were very meaningful for him, it reminded me that I got to keep at it. I got to keep going in my relationship with Kristen. If I, if after 18 years, my love for her is not greater than it was in the first year, something's wrong. If my expressions and communication of that love is, is less, if it's waning, there's an area of need. In fact, before I got up to talk to you, I sat down and talked with her. I said, here's, here's what I want to say. Here's what I'm going to say to the people. How am I doing? How am I doing it? I want to tell them that they need to be doing this, but am I okay? You do feel loved? Um, you know, and anyway, it's interesting that this can happen in our relationship with our spouse. If you're not married, I'm sure you can kind of understand a little bit of, of what that's like, but he, here's what I, where I'm going with this. The same thing that we are capable of doing in our relationships where we grow out of that kind of stuff or move on from it, we're also capable of doing in our relationship with God. The very things that excited us, that were so new and fresh and amazing in our relationship with God, I think probably a good portion of us in this room have grown out of some of those essential things. We've moved on from some of those essential things. Our faith has become too mature to be people who are so needy of the Bible, so needy of church and God's people, so needy of prayer, so needy of just being quiet before the Lord. We're, we've moved on. We've got that sort of figured out. We can step out of that now and, and into what? But we think somehow we've arrived because we don't, we don't need that. And we're deluded. It's wrong. It's not true. I want to say, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, today might help you understand why people that you know who talk about Jesus don't actually live like they say they believe. Because maybe they've moved on. They've forgotten the essential practices and postures that ought to be true of their life if they're following Jesus. So what you're going to get is sort of an inside track as to where we ought to be and what we ought to be 
doing it. And honestly, for all of us, what I hope today is, is not simply an indictment on the, the measure of our faith, but I hope it's an encouragement because of what Jesus has to say about us and the condition of our faith. We're talking about crazy faith. And in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Jesus addresses the idea of faith over and over and over again. In fact, when he does, Jesus often talks about children. He talks about children. He talks about fathers and their relationship with their children. What we're going to do today is we're going to go into the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. We're going to take a peek into also the Gospel of Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament. And we're going to see some of Jesus' words related to our faith and what he has to say and see how it relates to where you and I are today. Jesus is calling us today not to crazy faith, but to baby faith baby faith. See, crazy faith, what we talked about last week, this monumental faith that believes God's going to move a mountain and he's going to send a flood, so I'm going to build an ark and just follow God in obedience. That's not the starting point for us. We don't begin to follow Jesus. These four individuals who decided to follow Jesus are not beginning their relationship with him with crazy faith. They're beginning with baby faith. Baby faith. And baby faith is not something that we grow out of or move on from. It's something that we grow into. All right? And there's a distinction there. We're going to talk about it. So in Matthew 17, if you have your Bible, your app, whatever you're using, Matthew 17 is where we're going to start. And uh, we're going to come upon Jesus as he's traveling around with his disciples. He gets this amazing teachable moment with his closest followers. Okay, so here we are in Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. You're going to see it here on the screen as well. When they came to a crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. So this man brings this boy who's been suffering from seizures, and he, this man has a measure of faith. He's expecting that bringing his boy to Jesus' followers is going to accomplish something, okay? So he's expecting the boy to be healed. Now, he brought the boy to Jesus' followers, to his disciples. And we read back actually in chapter 10 of Matthew in verse 1 that Jesus gave his followers, the disciples, power to heal sickness to cast out demons, to perform signs and wonders in his name. So this was not something that they couldn't do. This is something that they should have expected to be able to do. So we'll keep reading. Because he said in verse 16, they couldn't heal him. Verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How, um, let's see, how long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. So Jesus does what we would expect. You know, the man brings the boy to the disciples and they couldn't do it. It's kind of like going to the store and you go to the employee and they can't take care of you. Okay, let me talk to your manager, please. So they, they talked to the manager. They, they brought the boy then to Jesus and Jesus takes care of the problem uh, for, for them, for this man. The disciples probably feeling a little bit defeated at this moment. Verse 19, they came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. You have so little faith. How does that happen? And what I want to know is how little is little? Like, you have so little faith. What, what size 
faith does it take? The problem with the disciples' healing methods was that their faith was too small. And Jesus answers their question in verse 20. He continues, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. A mustard seed. How small is small? Jesus looks around and finds the largest thing he can find, a mountain. And actually, this is pretty common in Jewish literature to say moving a mountain would be equivalent to just an amazing movement of God. Jesus says, if you say to this mountain, I've been to Israel, had the privilege of going there. There are some mountains around. Mount Hermon is the largest mountain. It's got snow on the cap, even in summer. Really, really beautiful. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will be moved. It will move from here to there. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus said, you don't need crazy faith to move a mountain. You need baby faith. You need mustard seed size faith. How big is a mustard seed? I don't know how many of you have been planting your gardens, but I got a mustard seed right here. You might not believe me. You might think I'm just pinching my fingers together, but there's a mustard seed in here. Here. See it? I have more. Mustard seed. They're very, very tiny. In the day, there probably was not a smaller seed for them to have imagined than a mustard seed. And Jesus says, you need mustard seed-sized faith. So I just want all of us in the room to just go, okay, that's it. That's what I need, a mustard seed-sized faith. I don't need this gigantic amount of faith. We get it backwards sometimes. We think we need to have mountain-sized faith to move a seed-sized problem. And Jesus says, no, 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 you need seed-sized faith to move a mountain-sized problem. Awesome. Nice catch. Now, here's the truth about mustard seed size faith or baby faith. Others may not be able to see it, but God can. God does. And here's the first truth we get. This is, this is uh, you can write this somewhere, not one of the main points, but here we go. Seed size faith is all we need for God to do what he said he would do. Seed size faith is all we need in order for God to do what he said he would do. Jesus understands our condition. He understands what it's like to be human. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He understands. He says, seed size faith. Can, can, you, can you handle that? Can you do that? And I think we can all say, I think I can. I think I can. And sometimes God asks us to do something and we start listening or thinking of all the reasons we can't. Like in Exodus, God says, hey, I want you to uh, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is like, I don't talk well. I'm a shepherd. I have a kind of a checkered past in Egypt. I really can't do that. Right? We start listing all these things. Or God approaches Gideon and judges and says, hey, greetings, mighty warrior. And, and Gideon's hiding out in, in, the, in the wine press, threshing grain. Where That's not where you do that, but he's so afraid. And, and God's like, I want you to lead Lead my people in victory. And he's like, <laughs> you got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. We do this too. God asks us, he burdens our heart to build a relationship with someone, to share the gospel with someone. And we're like, yeah, I'm just not that person. I don't, I don't have the time. I don't really have the, I'm not, I'm not a good talker. I don't, excuse, 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 excuse. Rather than just say, okay, next step. I can handle that. I can handle that. You know, God's over here just saying, you just need baby faith. I think all of us want this raise a person from the dead kind of crazy faith, but Jesus is over here just saying, baby faith will do. Baby faith will do. 
And here's our definition of baby faith as we're talking about it today. The ability to trust God at his word. That's it. The ability to trust God at his word. That's baby faith. Just the baby step. If God says it in the Bible, I believe it. If the Bible says it, I believe it'll happen. I think if we could actually begin living out baby faith today, we would see a dynamic change in our lives. What has God said? He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So when you're all alone and people have left you behind, baby faith says, God said that he would never leave me. I must not be alone. He's with me. Baby faith says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Okay, I don't know what I can do about that over there, but I can pray. I can pray, and I believe God will work through my prayer. I'm going to ask people to pray because I believe God works through prayer. So I'm just going to pray. I don't, I don't know what else to do. I have no other recourse. Baby faith believes it when God says, be anxious about nothing but in everything. By prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Baby faith says, okay, God says when I'm anxious, pray. And he'll give me peace. Okay, I'm going to do it. I don't understand the math. I don't know the formula. I don't get the equation. But God says pray about this stuff. So I guess I'm just going to do that. That's what he says. So we need baby faith. Now, here's, here's the thing. Just like babies and just like seeds, you know what they both have in common? They grow. They grow. The type of faith Jesus is asking us to have is one that grows. Now, it starts small, but it grows. And what we're going to do is look at Jesus' words surrounding faith and children and discover how to have or how to develop in our baby faith. Number one, it starts with dependency. Baby faith starts with dependency. Dependency. See, we're going we're gonna to keep going through chapter 17. We're going to arrive at chapter 18. The disciples are a little bit discouraged about their failure. They've been healing and, and casting out demons, and all of a sudden, they failed. What do we do? And, and this is kind of like you and me. Uh, when we fail, at least for me, uh, I look for ways to sort of encourage myself. I start to compare myself to other people. Um, you know, maybe, I, maybe I'm a little better off than they are. Maybe I'm not as bad as them. I start looking for ways to start asking, fishing for compliments, you know, uh, from my wife, or from my kids. And um, in fact, nah, I won't go there. Never mind. It's amazing. You're just watching me think right out loud. And um, I'm not going to go there. The disciples are going there in Matthew chapter 18. They're a bit discouraged. They're looking for a way to encourage themselves. Matthew 18 verse 1 says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Let's move on from our failure. Let's talk about greatness here. Maybe I can get on on some of that. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Interesting, Jesus just called the child. We don't know who it is, but he called the child and the child came. Hey, come here. Boop, boop, boop. Right up on his lap. There it is. And Jesus says, unless I become like a child, I don't get to enter into the kingdom. So there can't be salvation without baby faith. What does he mean? Here's what I think he means. A child knows that he is dependent upon other people. A child's default posture is dependency. 
A baby is born dependent, without even thinking, by instinct, has need. Needs the doctors, the nurses, needs mom. Immediately cries out, why? Because he or she is dependent. The baby is just dependent. It knows that it needs someone. It knows it needs other people. Then what happens with a child is they gain ability, they gain skill, they gain a measure of, what do we call it? Independence. And suddenly begin thinking that they can kind of do this stuff on their own. Can I just give all of us adults in the room a newsflash? We don't graduate from dependence. We don't graduate from dependence. Dependence upon God. We don't. What we ought to do the older and wiser we get is to recognize more and more just how dependent we actually are. Like in marriage, you don't move on from romance or pursuit, nor in your spiritual life, relationship with God, do you move on from dependence. You grow in it. You grow in it. So spiritually, we don't grow toward independence. Now, we do grow toward greater responsibility. So then our dependence must measure up to our level of responsibility. That's what we're talking about. You ever noticed how, how trusting kids are? My family, we have this joke. Every time we, were, every time we go by a Red Robin restaurant, we'll say, someone will start it. Hey, look, there's a Red Robin. Well, there's six of us. And another one will go, hey, look, there's a Red Robin. And as if for the very first time, another one will go, hey, look, there's a Red Robin. It's sort of a dumb family inside joke, but we chuckle every single time. We were on vacation one time, and one of our, one of our kids said, hey, look at Red Robin, because we said that's where we're going to eat. And without even, the other one must have been zoned out. Happened to see the restaurant and said, hey, look, there's a Red Robin. So now we just tease whoever it was, and none of us really remember, but that's what we do. But when I tell my kids, hey, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to go to Red, Ro Red Robin. You know what they don't say? Dad, have you saved enough this week? Dad, did you pay the mortgage? Dad, how is this going to affect your retirement? Dad, have you, have you considered the wisdom of spending this money in this way? They don't do that. You know what their one question is? Can we get dessert too? That's all they really do. Why? Because when I say we're going to go to Red Robin, they believe we're going to go to Red Robin and we're just going to eat and it's going to be a great time. It's going, to be, it's going to be wonderful. I think if you and I could have childlike faith, baby faith, the ability to take God at his word, to trust him, I think our lives would look differently from the way they look right now. What happens as we get older, older as we mature and we stop trusting, we, we stop trusting the things we see and hear. You see, we've been burned a few times. People have let us down. We've expected God to do something. We prayed for something and it didn't happen. So we're like, okay, okay. So the Bible's painting a picture of God that's obviously not matching my experience. So what am I going to do about that? You know, sometimes my faith in God is negatively impacted by those times I ask God to show up. If he was really able to do what he said he would do, I'd be married by now. I would have, be able to have children, or my kids would have turned out better. I prayed that God would help me get that job, and I didn't get it. And even though I might say I believe in the Bible, I believe what God says, my faith is so eroded because of my experience over the years that I just stop trusting. I kind of play this fatalistic game of whatever will be, will be, nothing I can do about it anyway. 
and we have moved on from baby faith. And it could be that the very things that you hate that are a part of your life, that are hard, that are difficult, God is actually using as good tools to do what? To bring you back to dependency. To bring you back to baby faith. Have you ever stopped to think that the very things you wish God would remove from your life, he actually put there on purpose so that you would realize that you don't grow out of baby faith or dependency. You grow into it. So baby faith starts with dependency on God, and secondly, it grows by trusting. Baby faith grows by trusting. Trusting God's character. Even if everyone else in your life has failed you, God is worthy of trust. He's worthy of trust. We, we get this picture of how trustworthy God is. Back in Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to show it to you here on the screen. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Jesus, again, is, has an object lesson going with his disciples. And he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus says, if your kids ask you for something, as a parent, you're naturally inclined to want to do that. You want to do good things for your kids. And you guys are sinners. God, as a perfect father, if you guys know how to give good gifts, how much more does God? He's calling them back to trusting God. And I think probably several of us in the room have reasons why you will never trust a father ever again. And you have a really difficult time anytime the Bible talks about God being a father, have a hard time looking at God because the filter of your father has so influenced and corrupted your view of what a father can be. Can I just ask us this morning, please, and I know it's difficult, to stop putting human limitations on God. You may have been burned and let down, and I'm sorry about that, but you have not been burned and let down by God. Not him. And you never will be. Our faith grows by putting trust in his character, who he says he is in his word, but also about how he's already shown up in your life. David, the psalmist, reminds us of this in, in Psalm 34, 8. He says this. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David says, taste. Just, just have a taste. And then see that the Lord is good. And, and what does he eventually do? He then takes refuge in him. I'm going to dip my toe in the water. I'm going to see that it's good. And then I'm going in. And David says, just try God out. Just try him. See that he's good. As I reflect back on my life, I see plenty of reasons why God can be trusted. I watched God provide for us a home, our very first home we ever bought in New York. Um, we didn't have the money. We didn't have the means. We didn't know what we were doing. And God said, here you go. When we left New York to move to Pennsylvania, we watched God do it again. Now we waited 22 months to do it. When we were first married, we watched God provide for us a vehicle. Over and over again. I've watched God put relationships back together. Even in my own immediate family, I've watched God heal relationships. Watch God change lives. I mean, Three salvations at Vestal Campus, they have no campus pastor right now. What does God need in order to change people's lives? Evidently, not everything we think it needs. 
I've seen God put broken marriages back together. I have felt God's presence. Psalm 34, 18, God comes near to the brokenhearted when Kristen and I have been hurt or betrayed by people who loved us. I have felt that. I could spend the next hour listing how God has met my baby faith with powerful works. And he wants to do that with you. Where is your faith at today? What is true of your life that if God didn't show up, you would fall flat on your face? I think some of us have been so burned by people and by fathers that we have planned God right out of our life. Got our agenda set, we're ready to go, don't need God. If he doesn't show up, I'll still be okay because I got everything taken care of. And God is saying, you don't grow out of it. It starts with dependency. It grows by trusting, continuing to trust God. Some of you, you have trusted God for your salvation. You have given him your eternity. By the way, that was your biggest problem. If God could take care of the biggest mountain in your life, don't you think that your current situation he could also take care of that too. If salvation was your greatest need and God took care of the greater, don't you think he can also take care of the lesser? Where's our faith today? Where are we exercising that baby faith? Jesus continues, I mean, we were in Matthew 17, then 18. If we continue, continued into Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22, Jesus continues teaching his disciples. He says, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, Jesus cursed a fig tree and it just shriveled up in a day, but you also can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And you're saying, that's crazy faith. Nope. That's baby faith. That's baby faith. Just taking God at his word. Maybe you're looking at that saying, uh-uh. I've seen that proved wrong in my life. Maybe what you and I need to do is just go spend some time with children. Let's go hang out with some kids. Just go, you know, some of you should be working in kids' ministry and you're not. I don't know who you are. I don't have an agenda, but Don's out there cheering me on. Yeah, go work in kids' ministry. Seriously, spend some time with kids and listen to the things I ask for. Nothing's off limits. Nothing's, my kids must think I'm loaded. Can we, can we, can we? And then after we're done, can we also? <laughs> I don't have that kind of money, but they, they, think I can, they can think I can pull it off. Spend time with some kids, see what they ask for, and, and then say, hmm. That's what I need to be like. I need to just ask God. Nothing off limits. But like kids who have a loving father, know that sometimes no is the best answer. My kids don't always ask for things that are good for them. And as a loving father who wants what's best for them, sometimes I look at them with love in my heart and in my eyes and say, no. So, we're going to go back now. The third step here, baby faith. It starts with dependency. It grows by trusting. And then it happens by asking. It happens by asking. We're going to now jump back into a parallel passage, parallel to Matthew 17. The same account from a different perspective is found in Mark chapter 9. Same man, same boy, same situation where they bring, he brings his boy to the disciples. They can't cast out this demon, so he brings him to Jesus and Jesus takes care of it, the disciples approach Jesus and say, why couldn't 
We cast it out. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus says this, this kind can come out only by prayer. Do you know that God reserves the right to do some things only by prayer? God is sovereign, and he, he determines what's going to happen. He is in control. He determines the ends. But you know, he also determines the means. And sometimes the means by which he wants to accomplish his ends is by your prayer and by mine, asking him in baby faith. God, would you? So we ask God to restore my family. I ask God to help me forgive my wayward child. Ask God to help me meet my financial or physical needs. Ask God to build his church. Provide what we need. Ask God to remind me that he will never leave me or forsake me. Let me ask you this morning, have you grown out of baby faith? Have you just moved on into this some other kind of relationship with God that's devoid of faith and trust? Have you left baby faith behind? Have your circumstances grown more powerful than your God? Maybe you're here today, you think depression, divorce, your debt, Circumstances are too big to be moved. The word of God today is proclaiming to you that if you had baby faith, mustard seed-sized faith, you could see God move a mountain. Maybe it's time to go back. Let me give you a suggestion as to how to do that. This is a hat box. There's not a hat in it. And I'm going to do my best to do this quickly and without getting very emotional. This is mine and Kristen's, what we call our altar box. Some people call it a blessing box. Um, it's got all kinds of mementos in it. All kinds over the years. Here's what we do. Every time we see God show up in our life, big or small, there's a memento. In fact, there's just one. Scraping pennies together bought a house, really needed some work, and uh, we would love, we wanted to carpet the house. It was a disaster. So we started praying, God, we need carpet. First world problem, I get it. But we ask him, guess what? Wall to wall, the whole thing, God provided. I'm gonna stop right there. You know what this does for us? When we're up against a wall, a mountain that needs to be moved, do you know what we can do? We can look back on decades of mementos of God's faithfulness. If he was faithful then, he will be faithful now. You know what this is? This is a box of baby faith. And I believe that you and I today have need to go right back there and say, God, if you don't show up, it's not happening. I need you. And I wonder where in your life you need to become more dependent on God. Where have you planned him right out of your life? Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe your baby faith today is saying, okay, I can't, I can't figure life out on my own. I need a savior. I'm a sinner. I need rescue. And your baby faith is asking God to save you, to forgive you, and to become the leader of your life.
What do you need to ask God for today? I love a message like this because God's not asking us to jump over this monumental hurdle. He's saying, just trust me. We'll get over the hurdle. I'll help you. You just need baby faith. Would you pray with me? God, it, it sounds simple. It seems small, but we still need your help to do it. There are so many barriers in my own mind and my own life that keep me from trusting you the way I ought to. Would you, would you work in each of our hearts? Help us to trust you more for salvation, for that mountain in our life that needs to be moved. Help us, God, if we've moved on to come back to baby faith. But we just trust you knowing that you can do even more than we ask or imagine. We need you to do that in our lives and in our families and in our circumstances. We need you to do it today. We trust you to show up. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.